We're going to get to, uh, before the show is over, we're going to get into the 11, 11 biggest Minnesota moments and stories of 2023, according to the Star Tribune. Apparently, it's based on reader input, so maybe that's why some of the items on the list are kind of lame. Uh, but we're revisiting some of the uh, conversations we had over the past year here on the Adam and Jordana Show. Adam Carter in, by the way, Jordana off uh, all week except Thursday. And again, we've uh, proving that she loves dear Jordana so much. That question that we got, Dave, about uh, whether or not to keep the gift or keep the package that That'd was be sent. Great That's dear a great Jordana, dear Jordana yeah. question. So we'll save that for her. But we're uh, revisiting some of the uh, conversations we've had over the past year. One of them was with Chief Brian O'Hara. We've talked to him a couple of times this year. But we got into it out at the State Fair about a variety of topics and we thought it'd be uh, worth a re-listen. So this is back from uh, August out at the Minnesota State Fair and Minneapolis Police Chief Brian O'Hara. So, Chief, this is your first Minnesota State Fair, correct? Now, you are a New Jersey native, correct? Yes. And this Woo-hoo! is your first State Fair? Yes. Now, looking at you, you don't look like a guy who eats a lot of junk food. I'm just going to make that assessment. Guess. But, so, what do you think of the State Fair so far? And I want an honest, unvarnished opinion. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is like something you see on TV. Like, wh- where I come from, we don't have state fairs. Right? Yeah, this is all uh, Jordana knows. Yeah. Right. She's from, from Morris Jersey. County, New Jersey. There she you knows. Go. Yeah. This is just something I've seen on TV before. This is unbelievable. Do you love it, though? I mean, yeah, it's, oh, it's yeah. pretty amazing. I'm, I'm amazed when uh, I come it's, here. It's massive. I it's was huge. here with the yeah. family this Sunday. Oh. Um, what do they think of it? They're on their way back now. I mean, oh. uh, it wore out my sons pretty good. Yeah. We still didn't uh, still didn't see everything. What did you, you know, eat? Just... What, what did you eat when you were here? Well, by the end of the day, my sons got one of those massive buckets of cookies. Of cookies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right yeah. next door. From, from, yeah. The, yeah, mm-hmm. from the other side. Um, mm-hmm. and, and my older son was trying cheese curds for the first time and all kinds of stuff like that. It was great. That's legit. Yeah. All right, let's talk city business because that's why he's here and you guys want to get your questions answered. Uh, there is positive news, and we always start with the positive. There has been a drop in violent crime in the city. Yes. Uh, I said my kids have been going to concerts downtown. Yeah. I've been either driving them downtown, and I see a huge police presence. That makes me feel heartened. You can clap for that. Well, yeah, you can, you can clap, absolutely. My kids go to the Twins games on their own. They see a big police presence. Talk, how did you do it? Well, um, you know, I think everybody here has just been through so much over the last three years. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think our cops have felt just kind of beaten down over the last three years, and so many of our police officers have left the profession completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people, uh, especially in the department, people were just looking for some direction and some rejuvenation and kind of just, you know, giving people the direction to get back to work. Um, and so, you know, we've been working on that very intentionally. I've been out in the street myself with a lot of our officers. I've tried to help uh, build up the force, change, uh, change the structure of the department, our command staff, and really just kind of getting back to basics, dealing with the urgency of, of violence and crime. And I think the, the real proof of the results has been just the collaborations that we've been able to have. A lot of collaborations with community-based groups, but a whole lot of collaboration from the U.S. Attorney's Office here, from our federal state uh, and county partners, and I think um, I think the message has gotten out on the street. 
uh, to a lot of gang members, a lot of people who would be out here pulling triggers, you know, over the last few years and doing carjackings and stuff. They see there's there's starting to be real accountability and real consequences, uh, particularly uh, particularly on the federal level. I wanted to ask you that we asked uh, we had Sheriff Witt on earlier this week, and I asked her about that about you know the stories here about carjackings or car thefts, you know, younger people, juveniles. Are they organized gangs, or are they just are, they, are these just kids yeah. with really no direction out there? So where I come from, it's much more organized. Yep. There's high-end uh, auto theft and high-end carjackings that wind up going to a port uh, and then being shipped overseas and never recovered. Here, um, and just hearing you know, a lot of the stories that people have experienced in the city from carjackings in 2021 and 2022, just really insane stuff like you know, juveniles, very young juveniles pointing weapons and automatic weapons in people's faces and coming you know, to their garages and things like really crazy, you know, violent carjackings here happening. Um, but this year it's down over 50%. Um, I, you know, I think the message got out with a lot of the federal uh, prosecution for uh, carjacking that that's gotten uh, under control. But the, the real problem that we have and have been experiencing over the last year is no longer this violent carjacking problem. It's, it's auto theft. It's kids that are joyriding. And then that leads to, can lead to other problems. Like we've had a lot of, you know, a lot of accidents, a lot of kids getting hurt, other people being hurt and injured. Uh, and then sometimes those cars are involved in, in gun crimes, uh, in robberies and that kind of thing. So that's, that's kind of how the problem has changed over the last year. Um, and it's not unique to Minneapolis. That's something that we're seeing in, in cities all across the country. But wasn't there an arrest of some of those carjacking perpetrators? And there were and they were held for a little bit longer. It was a couple of kids. This yes. happened in my neighborhood in St. Yep. Louis Park. Yep. People were in their driveways, and yep. people were coming with guns to yep. take their car. And and I I had read that the perpetrators of that specifically were held accountable and in prison and that's why it stopped yeah so what had been happening most of the year um with the stolen car problem is we were seeing kids real small group of kids we knew who they were right and we were getting them you know a a dozen a dozen and a half times but the problem was every time we were getting them they were immediately released so we were teaching them that there were no consequences and then in addition to that it was taking the the, uh, the county prosecutor's office a long time to determine whether or not there would be charges. Meanwhile, those kids are out there still every day doing the same thing that they've been in. Mm-hmm. But now it's different. Uh, kids are being held now uh, mm-hmm. when we get them in stolen cars, and the county attorney is uh, making charging determinations within five days. Well, that's um, and that's yeah, that's that's unheard of compared to how how it was happening before. Mm-hmm. The reorganization you were mentioning under the eye of the federal government uh, with the with the consent decree. How far along is that process? How long does that process take, or is it? Do you even know the answer to that yeah. at this point? So we're uh, we're going to be the first city in the United States to have both state and federal mandated court reforms for a police department. That's never happened before. So right now we're in the middle of just beginning the state settlement agreement uh, mandated through MDHR. Um, but the DOJ a couple months ago they released their findings report, um, and talking to the person in charge at DOJ when he was here. Over this, he said we can expect to have a consent decree within the next year. Um, so, you know, it, it, everybody was waiting for the DOJ to finally release their report, but we're still not at day zero with the feds, with the federal consent decree. We mm-hmm. have to wait and see ultimately what that court requir- requirements are going to be. And at the same time, we still have to deal with this state settlement agreement. So, I mean, 
I've been through this process before. I, you know, I led this work uh, in Newark with a federal consent decree. I know this will be uh, is going to be a burden. It's going to be a significant burden. It's going to cost the city millions of dollars mm-hmm. to go through this. Um, but it's also an opportunity to try and rebuild the department and try and you know kind of rebuild trust in the police department because that's is absolutely essential for getting crime down and keeping it down. Mm-hmm. Is people have to trust that they can t- talk to us and trust that they can tell us what's going on in their neighborhood. When you define that though for somebody a layperson like me, consent decree. What does that mean? How will that change policing? How will that what will that how will that affect the reorganization of your department? So a consent decree is a, a federal court order that mandates dozens and dozens of policies and training requirements that have to be made in a police department. And then an independent monitor, a whole team of independent monitors comes in to evaluate whether or not, you know, the police department is performing that way essentially perfectly over a course of years. So this is something that's extremely expensive. It it will cost the city literally millions of dollars um, and and something that the city will be in for a number of years. Um, But the good thing is it is the opposite of defunding the police. You will not be able to say we're not going to put money into the police department. We're not going to give the police department the resources they need. We're not going to give the police department the staffing they need. It is the exact opposite. It's going to require the city to put millions of dollars into the police department to be able to have sufficient staffing and to make these reforms. More with Chief Brian O'Hara coming up, 1117 on News Talk 830 WCCO. Uh, More with the Chief next on CCO. Back on uh, WCCO, Adam and Jordana. Jordana off today, and as we approach the new year, we're uh, revisiting some of the conversations we've had on the show throughout the year, some of the more impactful interviews we've done, and we continue with our talk with Brian O'Hara, Chief of the Minneapolis Police Department. You stepped into this, though. This investigation happened before, started before you came. Is this annoying to you? Do you think you could have fixed it without the feds and the state's interference? There's so much of these agreements that are just true in, in, in the problems that these things point out. They're true in police departments and cities all around the country. Any city, any police department you go to, there will be a disparate impact based on race and who gets arrested and who gets stopped. And that, that's, just, that's just how policing in the United States is. And it's also reflected in who is victims of serious crime and violence. But I think what consent decrees are good at, it is requiring cities to make the investments needed to ensure that our cops have the the level of training that they should have, that we have the level of technology that we should have, and that we have, you know, processes and structures in place. And just for me as an outsider coming in, I can see things differently than kind of people who've been here and have known policing the way it is for 20 or 30 years. That's all the more true for when, when a monitor comes in, when, when uh, a team of independent experts comes in. Hopefully it is something that can help us, uh, help us be even better in the future. Um, but the, the real issue is there's, uh, you know, the unspoken issue is there's a financial incentive for monitors to continue monitoring indefinitely. And that's a problem, you know, in cities where these things kind of drag on for years. You mentioned how difficult the job is. I can only imagine uh, that is compounded, I would assume, by this announcement that the city is bringing an outside law firm to investigate some incidences with you. I just want to give you an opportunity to address that, uh, what kind of cooperation you're dealing with, or anything you want to say about yeah. what's happening there. Well, um, you know, I look forward to, uh, you know, getting this process underway and getting it over with, um, but I just I need people to understand um, that, you know, I have learned the hard way here that even though everyone, residents and cops, have been through so much over the last three years, Everyone wants progress, 
But I've learned the hard way that no one actually wants change. So the more you actually start to change things, people experience loss. That, and a lot of those people are our people. You know, the power shifts in different ways, and there absolutely will be pushback. Um, so I need people to know that there will be bumps in the road as we go forward along the way. Any um, specific people uh, resisting more than others? I just think uh, people who are used to having power, whether officially or unofficially, um, and you can imagine how that works in any large organization, they are not happy uh, when they no longer have the power that they used to, when things you know, do not go the way that they've been telling themselves for 20 or 30 years, this is how it's supposed to be. Um, so I think any organization where you make change, there is absolutely pushback. And that's something that we should expect to continue, continue to see uh, that blowback show up in different ways. But, you know, it's something that, you know, we have to have enough backbone here to push through this. Yep. Because the desire is for us to be scared and run away or just continue to do things the way they always are. And that's not me. And I just need everyone else that's involved in this to realize we need to have a backbone and continue to push forward. That lets us know we're doing something right. Can you share with us some specific changes that you'd like? Are you able to do that? Some specific changes that you want to push through that people are giving you pushback on? I mean, there's been, you know, there's been little things along the way. I'm a firm believer um, that it's not just about this list of stuff that the government comes up with in a consent decree, check this off, check this off, that you did it and it's over. I'm a firm believer that this is about culture change and making change real. And I'm a firm believer that if you go after some of the little things, the bigger things take care of themselves. And some of those little things are not things that show up in court orders, but they're things that we need to do uh, to ensure that, all, that, that we are affecting culture in the right way. So, I mean, there has been blowback over some of the, some of the changes I've made, and we've gotten over it. Um, some of the structural changes I've made, some of the, some of the other changes that kind of a big deal internally that weren't really covered in the media. For example, uh, it was a big deal during the trial of Derek Chauvin, the, uh, the maximal restraint technique mm-hmm. uh, and the use of a hobble, which is you know, essentially something to hogtie a, a person when they're, when they're under arrest and they're combative. That's gone. You know, that's not something that the court said Minneapolis had to get rid of. That's something that I saw that I said, this is inhumane, it's got to go. And, I mean, there's really good people in the police department that are just used to, that's all they knew their entire career. Where I come from, we never had that. I know we don't need it. Uh, and so even just something as simple as that, there, there, there was just there was pushback. And there's, there's little things like that and just little things about how we present on scenes and, and how we interact with people um, that we have to continue to push forward to ensure that we're showing the right level of, of respect towards our community. There, in the news this week uh, about the school resource officer issue has been... A uh, big issue. Uh, it's not an issue in Minneapolis because Minneapolis oh. public schools um, ended that relationship after George Floyd. Has there been any um, overtures by your department saying, "Hey, yeah. can we start this relationship up again?" I-, I wish we had that problem. I wish we had that problem. I know so many parents around the city, North Minneapolis, South Minneapolis, I, they wish we had that concern right now, and we don't because we don't have school resource officers. Um, but we're making little bits of progress here and there. Um, we've started up our police activities uh, league again. Um, we have an officer that's you know doing work in some of the elementary schools and trying to build up that pro- that program. Um, but it's it's especially frustrating to me 
that we're not present in schools, not just for the safety issues, because there have been issues since I've been here yes. of guns in schools, students leaving schools armed with guns, and the police aren't there to help. I mean, it is like literally a tragedy waiting to happen. Uh, but, you know, and, and aside from the public safety issue, like, if we're going to rebuild the department and build it up into the future, we need to be better connected with young people in the city. Um, and they need to be able to see us in interactions that are not law enforcement interactions. The problem with being a cop is, you know, mom and dad do not call me over to the front porch to talk about how well the marriage is going, right? Like, we only show up at people's houses when stuff is going wrong. And if kids are only seeing police in that way, there's no way we're going to get out of this mess. Also, the university. Is there any plans to um, make another connection with the university? Because I know they're no longer partners with you. Yeah, well, I mean, we work with the U of M, obviously, in Dinkytown, you know, on, uh, collaboratively uh, and with the sheriff's office around public safety issues out there. Um, but what's, what's especially frustrating to me, especially at a time where we need more cops, is we, we have funding and positions and money available that I would love to see go to more of our kids, our residents from the city, that people are just not aware of. For example, like, we could hire kids right out of high school uh, and give them a job and pay for their college, and then once they get their degree, they can become Minneapolis police officers. And that's something that could change the course of a lot of our kids' lives, but nobody knows about it because we're not able to actually go out there where these kids are and let people know and let their parents know that there are these kinds of opportunities. Uh, well, you just did. So thank you. Right. That's right. Uh, we're out of time here with uh, Chief uh, of Minneapolis Police, uh, Brian O'Hara. Last thing I want to ask you, though, for the people who, are, who have been weary, and rightly so in many cases, about the Minneapolis Police Department, looking at it, what do you want to tell those people uh, saying it's, it's different now? I, I was one of those people. You know, I was, I was in Newark, New Jersey, you know, three years ago, looking at these blue shirts on TV and everything else the media was saying, I was weary when I got here. Hundreds of cops have left here, but I can tell you the people, the cops that are here are absolutely unbelievable. The level of dedication that they're all doing multiple functions, different jobs, different things. It is incredible what they are doing. The lowest number of sworn officers in decades. They're recovering the most number of guns off the street. We have over 120 fewer people shot this year. You know, all of this incredible progress because they're putting in, you know, dozens and dozens of extra hours of work uh, and just achieving stuff, you know, bringing, you know, this level of safety that we haven't seen in a summer since, you know, 2019, pre-pandemic. So people need to know that the, the cops who stayed here are incredibly dedicated and are doing everything they can, putting their lives on the line, taking a bullet for the cause, yep. trying to make the city safer. How is that officer doing, by the way, the officer who was shot? He's unbelievable. Yep. I mean, he's, he's fantastic. He just wants to get back to work. Uh, I'm so humbled, you know, just to get a chance to know him a bit better. Um, I, you know, somebody like him really represents, you know, what is best and what is actually true about the profession and about the Minneapolis Police Department. And you should hear this from the text line because people are listening to you, yes, at the fair, but also at home. They say most Minneapolis residents are glad Chief O'Hara is here and sticking it out. So stick it out. Thank you, Chief. Thanks for your candor today. Appreciate it. Enjoy the fair. So that was uh, Minneapolis Police Chief Brian O'Hara, and that is one of the storylines, one of the stories we'll be following in 2024 about the Minneapolis Police Department, the continuation of the reforms that are being put into place as part of the consent decree filed by the Justice Department and the uh, the other changes mandated by the state of Minnesota and the Human Rights uh, Office there. 
And Brian O'Hara, uh, he's been uh, very, very out front, very open with us when he's appeared on uh, on the station. We tried for him a couple weeks ago. He was uh, busy that day, but hopefully the chief will join us again uh, to continue updating us on how those changes are going and the challenges he continues to face in this city that's still Minneapolis, obviously uh, not really clear yet on how it wants to use police, how it wants to be policed. And lots of people still concerned about policing and safety, frankly, in the city of Minneapolis moving forward. Because we want this to be a city that is the center of uh, economic, uh, obviously, attention, uh, center of a place where people can come and enjoy themselves, whether it's a game, the theater, restaurant, whatever it is. All of Minnesota should want that, and that's so critical when it comes to uh, addressing public safety and certainly seeing how the Minneapolis Police Department handles that in the coming year. It's 1131 on News Talk 830 WCCO. We continue our uh, day after Christmas coverage. Uh, So check in wherever you are, 651-461-9226, whatever you're doing, uh, today, we'd love to uh, hear from you because we're working. Wonder if you're working. If you're uh, headed out, maybe you've got we, Dave uh, Harrigan, uh, who uh, produces the Chad Hartman Show, was just updating us. He's got several, 17 more Christmas celebrations to go to in the next three or four days. So uh, we'll t- continue to update you on that. Traffic and weather coming as well on CCL. All right, here's my criticism because... I've totally changed how I feel about this. So the Star Tribune has their list of 11 stories that shaped Minnesota. And if you read through the list, you're like, you got to be kidding me. But you know what? That list isn't based on journalists. The list is based on you. And here's the thing, which leads me to my complaint. Anytime we do a story, whether it's on talk radio and in the news, Inevitably, you get the, this must be a slow news day. This is all you got to talk about? Aren't there more serious things happening in the world? When it's you, the viewer, and the listener, and the reader, you're the ones who are paying attention to those stories that you think are so insignificant or stupid that shouldn't be covered. I think the, the like the right? flag the flag is the best example of that. Exactly. If you say, what do you really care about in the state today? Hopefully you would list off things like education and roads and budget, economics. And by the way, you can do both, by the way. You you can can talk about all those things. But then if you say, what stories have you clicked on the most? Exactly. The the evidence shows that you don't actually go research stories about school funding and class size and health care and all these other issues. You click on stories about what color blue is being used in the in the flag. Correct. And that's what this story from the Star Trek. And then you complain, I can't believe they're talking about it. So this is 11 top stories. Uh, fatigued after nearly three years of pandemic, fresh off the latest contentious election cycle, Minnesotans were drawn to different kinds of stories in 2023. The Star Tribune's audience dug into all the twists and turns of the path to legal marijuana just as you follow the travels and trials of a rogue moose. It's hard to remember the last year's local highlights and lowlights. So, to help, the Star Tribune revealed 11. Strange that it's 11. Not sure what the uh, significance is of 11. These go to 11, I guess, maybe. 
of the biggest Minnesota stories and moments of 2023 based on readership, the stories that people clicked on. Uh, this one is a legitimate news story. Minnesota Democrats run the table at the Capitol. We talked about it with Tori Van Oot earlier in the program. If you missed that conversation, please go to our Adam and Jordana podcast. Subscribe. Uh, that was one of the big, big stories. The DFL trifecta. The, the wish list of Democrats. They spent all the surplus. They gave us minuscule rebates. And they legalized weed. So that is a legitimate news story. Probably that makes the list of probably any news agency's top stories of uh, 2023. Uh, The Twin Cities Marathon, next hours before the race. Is that one of the more significant stories of the year in the state of Minnesota? See, I, I think that one is. I think, you know, it, not in the way that it, it impacts a lot of people's daily lives, but that's one of the premier events that our state and specifically the Twin Cities is known for. And the reason and, for it. And to have that too canceled. Hot. Yep, and it's too hot. And to have it canceled. And then the way it was canceled, where it was two hours before, and that created some controversy, I think that's certainly warranted to be on the list. I think so, too. I think that uh, certainly one of the more significant sports stories of the year and if you remember, too, that coincided with the heat we were having and also the bad air. Remember this? This 2023, it was the year of bad air. That's right. All bad summer. air. All summer long, the Canadian wildfires, the burning eyes, this constant smell of smoke. Uh, Taylor Swift taking over Minnesota. I, too, think this is a, a significant news story based on the yeah. financial impact it had on the Twin Cities Metro. You can roll your eyes all you want at Taylor Swift, and many people did. Time named her the person of the year. A lot of people said, you got to be kidding me. I think you, know, you could now, argue. Now Republicans are up in arms. Oh, she's woke. Wow. That's, but her financial impact yeah. here, not only that, but also remember, those were huge concerts that was going to bring a lot of young people downtown. Mm-hmm. We still had concerns about the safety of downtown Minneapolis, and guess what? Went off without a hitch. So, yes, I, I accept that as one of the significant news stories of, this, of the year. I think you could argue that that's more of a national story this year because there wasn't – I mean, it was a story because she was here, but there wasn't anything unique about her visit to Minnesota, really. It was the same show and hoopla that was in every other city she went to. But uh, certainly it was a, a name that you could not avoid this year. Right. Uh, somebody texting him. By the way, chime in, 651-461-9226. What about the coal tar shortage? I didn't hear anyone talking about that. Didn't know we had a coal tar shortage. No, me either. Uh, Tom Emmer spends four hours as nominee of the most powerful job in Congress. That would be a Speaker of the House of Representatives. Yes, we did have a brief uh, four-hour window that Tom Emmer uh, was next in line to become Speaker of the House. Uh, Did not happen uh, for uh, Tom Emmer because he was, I guess, too closely aligned with Mm-hmm. Kevin McCarthy and the the Trump wing of the GOP, not mm-hmm. exactly huge uh, favorites of Tom Emmer. I also remember that that story was breaking right as the That's Twins right. were in the playoffs. I think I actually first heard about that because one of the one of the big screens in the plaza in the stadium they switched over to CNN, oh, and or whatever network, and yep. it was Tom Emmer because um, it was that big a news that even during a playoff game they were going to switch over and let people know. One of the I do do we think that's one of the more significant stories in Minnesota though? Yes. You do? See, I don't. 
it well, might be for him yep. in, in relation to Congress and that, that drama. But as far as biggest Minnesota stories of 2023, I don't think okay. so. Uh, a no good, very bad year from Mike Lindell and my pillow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. I, it's been a it's been, bad it's, seven years for him. So exactly. why was today or right. this year? No, I don't think that's on the list. Uh, a moose on the loose in central Minnesota. <laughs> uh, we had a moose in central Minnesota. Uh, fans held their breath for weeks as they waited for this. They call it a young buck. Uh, please. It's a bull. Young bull to safely cross I-94 in central Minnesota. They named him Rut and have been tracking his movements. I don't think that makes the cut. I think if you wanted to marry like all of the animal stories and say that plus the eagle camp plus the cougar, cougar. in Wayzata, yes. like if you say all of those together, but I don't know. Every single year we have stories about animals that are somewhere and we're falling in love with them. But I, I don't know that that's. Uh, it's like a cat video. I don't know. You click on it, but that's not that significant. And again, people, this isn't based on what the news people and what the journalists think are the top stories. It's what you think are the top stories. Uh, the cannabis director resigning after one day on the job. I, I would lump that in with uh, the legalization of marijuana. And yeah, just I kind think of the legalization rollout. in general is a bigger story than that. Yeah, and the clunky rollout of it, certainly that's part of it. But I wouldn't consider that on its own, standalone, yeah. um, one of the biggest stories. This next one, definitely the death of Bud Grant. Uh, but um, Bud Grant died, I think, uh, March 11th, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I mean, Bud one of those figures in Minnesota that everybody recognizes, everybody knows about, and I think his passing. And the Vikings, obviously, yeah. are they drive the sports needle in this state, so yes. Okay, I think I'm actually going to push back on that one. Wow. Because um, th- every year we have heroes that die, and some too young and some yep. not too young, but the passing of a hero who lived a good long life that's the type of story that we, uh, unfortunately, it's just the reality of life. We have that story every year. Yep. Next year, it'll be somebody else. And yeah, but I, yeah, but the, the significance of who Bud Grant is, though, I think is different. Okay. I think that, uh, especially, you know, it's difficult for certainly you, even me, being born in '75, to know the significance of the Vikings. Sure, I mean, but the people who were Viking fans growing up saw the Vikings in those Super Bowls saw the heyday of the Purple People Eaters, uh, Bud Grant is a mythical figure, mm. and I think that uh, absolutely uh, one of the more significant. Uh, Minnesota, oh, wait, Leslie Fema is a Golden Bachelor? No. 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 If that not... would have happened in April, it wouldn't even come close to being on the list. Correct. Yep, it's all about timing. Minnesota gets a new state flag and grapples with its identity. Yeah, that might be the top one. You think that's the most significant Minnesota story of the year? Uh, I think it's the story that more people talked about, clicked links of, shared links. I mean, just in my family, uh, you know, I go home, I'm chatting with the in-laws or Katrina or whatever, and they don't want to hear about the other stuff. But if I come home and say, hey, we just selected the new flag, everybody yep. wants to see it. Everybody leans in to that story. Well, now we'll know what to do for a topic tomorrow. What was Minnesota's most significant story of the year? And then this one, I, again, this is what readers pick, not what we pick. Lady Gaga eats at a classic Minneapolis restaurant. Lady Gaga spotted at a cafe and bar Lacotte in July, nibbling on shared plates at the quintessential, at the quintessential Minneapolis restaurant. That, no. Nope. Not at all.
Not even close. It's not a news story. It's she, yeah, she's not even yeah, no. Not a chance. Uh, so, yeah, maybe we'll do that tomorrow. Somebody uh, suggests Taylor Swift stiffing the Vikings. Yeah, not coming to Minnesota. Yeah. Hating Minnesota, saying, I'm dead to me, Minnesota. Uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow. The top uh, sports stories, we can do that at some point this week. We did top concerts today, by the way. What was the top concert you saw in 2023? 651-461-9226. Uh, your chance for one more segment to get in your uh, favorite concert that you saw this year. Maybe one uh, this week we'll do favorite TV, top TV moment of 2023.